Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, a CME podcast series where each week we translate today's late-breaking clinical research and news into tomorrow's practice. I'm Frank Domino, professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Medical School and editor-in-chief of the 5-Minute Clinical Consult series. Be sure to visit primed.com podcast after the discussion for more information about today's article and to claim CME CE credit. Dave M. is a 64-year-old male who comes to your office stating he's not feeling well. He has some upper respiratory tract symptoms, including a cough and some myalgias, but overall is just worried. He's fearful that he's caught coronavirus and wants to know what he should do. Hi, this is Frank Domino, and joining me today to discuss how to manage patients who present with upper respiratory tract symptoms is Dr. Alan Ehrlich, Associate Professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Medical School and Executive Editor of Dynamed. Hi, Alan. Hi, Frank. Thanks for having me this morning. You bet. So I'm fearful as, as fall descends, what are we going to do with patients with cold symptoms? Well, I think this is a really uh, you know, tough problem that we're going to face this year, more so than in any year I can recall in a long time. Because you know, the patient you describe could have any number of you know clinical uh, conditions. You know the things we might worry about the most would be things like COVID nineteen, influenza. They might just have run of the mill bronchitis or pneumonia. Uh, how, how would you distinguish these these uh, potential diagnoses? Well, um, this has already started happening in my practice, and so I, I decided that uh, this is a great thing to look into. Um, when we think about influenza versus coronavirus, uh, specifically uh, COVID-19, um, the symptoms are very much the same. They tend to be fairly abrupt onset of symptoms, um, feeling feverish or having a fever, having a cough, maybe some shortness of breath or chest pressure, fatigue, sore throat, especially if there's a cough, runny nose, body aches, headaches, um, and even some GI symptoms. Those those conditions are common both in influenza and COVID-19. Um, the thing that may help you in the office discern between those two is the presence of, of the, the symptom that we're all coming to think about, loss of smell and taste. Now, anybody who has lots of nasal congestion can, can lose smell and taste a little, but um, a, a significant number of patients, probably two-thirds of patients with, uh, who are infected by the coronavirus um, report uh, um, sudden onset change in their ability to smell and taste, um, sometimes two weeks before they present with symptoms. So, so keep that in mind if you're saying, wow, what's going on here? Make sure in your history taking you ask about smell and taste disorders. Um, colds tend to come on gradually. And if you think about last winter, when you saw a patient who had influenza, um, they were working and then bang, they, they felt horrible in, in a short period of time. And I think coronavirus and influenza both have this, this onset that's fairly strong and sudden. Um, and it, 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 it speaks to who probably needs to be tested for coronavirus and influenza. Colds, uh, bronchitis, both present with respiratory symptoms, typically runny nose, cough, maybe some low grade fever, 
maybe a little shortness of breath, but rarely significant shortness of breath or chest pain, um, unless they have something like asthma or COPD. So um, the other thing to include is, is acute bronchitis. Acute bronchitis is almost always caused by a viral infection. Adenoviruses are very common. It rarely is caused or secondarily infected by a bacteria. Bronchitis, uh, acute bronchitis is, is upper and lower respiratory symptoms, typically for more than five days, a dry, non-productive cough that you know, rattles around in patients' chest. They may have a little bit of dyspnea, but overall they can probably go about their work. They're mostly tired, and in particular tired from coughing so much. One of the physical exam findings that I think we need to remember that distinguishes acute bronchitis from most other respiratory conditions is the presence of ronchi, which is that sort of uh, gunky uh, water in the pipe sound, not rails like pneumonia, but that uh, coarse, coarse crackling sound we hear in people's bilateral lung fields. If you've got a patient with low-grade fever or a non-productive cough, no signs of, of pneumonia with tachypnea and fever, then I think you can probably think, all right, that's, that's more apt to be acute bronchitis, whereas the person who suddenly gets ill, um, you have to think influenza and COVID, and in particular, if they've lost the sense of smell, you have to, you have to really think COVID. You know, I think that's really helpful. And that bit about focusing on the sense of smell, I think, is important. The one thing I keep in mind with COVID is much – well, one thing that differentiates it from flu is that the symptoms can vary. You can have more mild cases. And I think that's where some of us may get tripped up uh, if we're not keeping that in the forefront of our minds. So, all right, uh, you've got these various possibilities – how do, you, how do you treat them? What, what, what distinguishes the treatment from one versus another? Well, um, this is challenging. I mean, just last week, yet another paper came out telling us for COVID that there was no benefit to hydroxychloroquine with or without uh, azithromycin or with or without zinc or whatever the favorite, favorite flavor is of the day. So uh, take that off the table. What's been found to be effective in treating COVID-19 illness has been if you're hospitalized and severely short of breath or need oxygenation or intubation and mechanical ventilation, um, steroids have been used. Dexamethasone in particular is found to be effective. When it was tried in smaller trials in the outpatient setting, at best there was no benefit. And in some cases there was worsening of condition. So using a steroid in the outpatient setting is currently not recommended. That might change in the future, but I think as of right now, if you've got a patient who gets diagnosed with coronavirus, supportive care is the mainstay of treatment. Some things to look for, um, you know, I'm a fan of vitamin D. Uh, vitamin D is being used both intravenously in hospitalized patients and as a preventative because we know that patients with low serum 25-hydroxy vitamin D levels tend to do worse when they're hospitalized with, with COVID-19. Um, so if you want to tell patients to prevent it or if they get ill and they're looking for something to do, 4,000 international units of, of vitamin D by mouth uh, per day is not going to hurt anyone and is possibly going to be beneficial, although I don't, I don't know that I can tell you for sure. Anthony Fauci has been quoted as saying he does take it. The other thing that's pretty curious is that we know that patients who are on PPIs have worse outcomes with covid whereas patients taking the H2 antagonist, famotidine, 
may have better outcomes. And um, some trials, some smaller trials done in Europe are looking at giving famotidine 20 milligrams three times a day. Uh, when that paper got published, there was a run on over-the-counter famotidine, and so it's probably very hard to find in your local pharmacy or grocery store. Um, but I do think talking to your patients who are on PPIs and at risk or may have, have, have COVID-19, it might be worth switching them to an H2 antagonist for at least a short period of time, letting them know, yeah, you're going to probably have some symptoms as the PPI depletes your, leaves your system. For influenza, we have antivirals, and the efficacy of antivirals is really limited to shortening the duration of the illness. Um, viruses are hard to kill, and the best we can do is slow their replication rate. We have um, three oral and one intravenous antiviral that are used for influenza, uh, but to remember that they're indicated for patients who uh, are within 48 hours of the initiation of symptoms and have comorbidities. So for the young, healthy person who has new onset influenza, there's probably little to no benefit of taking an antiviral uh, unless they have asthma, type, diabetes, type 2 diabetes, COPD, et cetera. Um, what to do for the rest of the group? Well, um, believe it or not, there's some minimal data on some herbal treatments. An elderberry syrup is, is an extract that you can buy. It's readily available over the counter. It's been around forever. And there's been conflicting data as to whether it's efficacious. Um, how do you treat it? Well, you take, uh, for those age 12 and over, you take uh, three teaspoons four times a day for five days, and it may shorten the duration of the illness. It's four times a day. It's the, it often comes uh, as a sweetened syrup, so it doesn't taste terrible. And hey, again, uh, there's very little that we successfully, that we have that successfully treats influenza. So I, I don't mind recommending this to patients. It's safe and it's unlikely to hurt them. For our patients with acute bronchitis, it's a viral syndrome almost always. So there was some data initially that a beta agonist inhaled might help patients. And I think that data is pretty iffy. There's been conflicting data on it. Again, there is an herbal treatment, pelargonium. They found that patients who started uh, just one and a half milliliters of pelargonium extract three times a day for seven days um, had decreased symptomatology um, by day seven. Um, in fact, um, for adults, uh, for those 12 and over, um, the, the current recommendation is, is to try uh, a little bit more, a teaspoon, three times a day with meals for those over adults. And I remind everyone, please, 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 as part of your antibiotic stewardship, don't use an antibiotic in acute bronchitis. Don't call it pneumonia, especially if there's bilateral respiratory symptoms and they're not febrile. Treat it as a viral illness and, and do no harm whenever you can. You know, thanks, Frank. That was a good rundown. One thing that you said that really struck me was the bit about the potential for steroids to make COVID-19 worse in mild case in the outpatient setting. And I, I say this because so many people now, when they're trying to avoid giving antibiotics for bronchitis, decide to give steroids for it instead. And so we have to be careful. Steroids are not benign. And unless there's a very clear COPD exacerbation or asthma exacerbation, just because someone's having a little wheezing, if they have no history of uh, these types of respiratory disorders, uh, it could be more dangerous at this point in time to be giving them prednisone willy-nilly. So treating is great. 
but even better would be prevention. Can you give us a rundown on how to prevent uh, these various conditions as best we can? Well, um, viral infections that cause acute bronchitis are just living around others. And so that that's hard unless everyone's wearing a face mask because we know wearing a face mask um, so aggressively lowers the risk of catching influenza. And we have really great outcome data that shows wearing a mask reduces the risk of becoming infected with COVID-19 by over 80%. Okay, nothing beats a mask. Um, we know that keeping distance at least one, if not two meters has a dramatic effect. Um, but the reality of the matter is the two combined will protect you if you're careful. It's when people aren't careful they don't wear a mask. And why there isn't a mask mandate in the U.S., it's just hard to imagine because we look at other places where that mandate exists and their rates are so much lower. So the first takeaway is wear a mask. And for those that you don't know have been, have been careful, certainly keep at least one or two meters away. One important thing to think about as winter comes on is humidity, relative humidity. Um, um, that uh, uh, can alter the risk of infection. Um, and if it's too low, we think it may increase airborne travel. So a higher humidity is better. So this winter, run the humidifier in your home. Try to get it above a 40% mark. And we know that having your hum relative humidity above 40% lowers the risk of transmission. Well, influenza, you know, we have a great tool. People want to take a pill or do something to increase their immune system. Well, we have it. It's called the flu vaccine. It's extremely safe. And we know from Southern Hemisphere data that it's that plus masks is hugely effective than in preventing influenza uh, infection. So please, these are things you should endorse. Um, I, what I said earlier, if people are specifically concerned about COVID, I do in, I'm willing to take patients off their PPI and switch them to an H2 antagonist, at least for the next six months. And for everyone, I'm encouraged them to take at least two, if not 4,000 international units a day of vitamin D. It's not going to hurt anyone and the potential that it might help exists. So um, that, that's my take on things, Alan. Prevent as much as possible, treat safely, and uh, let's hope that in sometime in the next year, we have even more tools to help prevent COVID-19 infection risk. Thanks, Frank. That was great. I'll throw in one more. Wash yeah. your hands. <laughs> <laughs> but in any event, thanks, Frank. This has been really helpful getting us ready for what is going to be a very challenging uh, cold and flu season. Thanks, Alan. Practice pointer. The single best way to discern if an ill patient has COVID-19 versus influenza is a history of loss of smell and taste. This implies COVID-19 infection, but don't be afraid to test for both. Join us next time when we talk about the efficacy of honey in the treatment of upper respiratory tract infections and its superior role in managing those symptoms. Thank you for listening to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, brought to you by PrimeMed. To claim credit and receive additional information about the article referenced in today's episode, visit primed.com slash podcast and see you next week.